Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. We start today, though, with the pub with public drug use in British Columbia. We are now one year into decriminalization of drug possession in BC. We're the only province in Canada that has done this. 2.5 grams is the legal possession limit in British Columbia for crack, crack cocaine, um, crystal meth, heroin, fentanyl. Yeah, you're allowed to possess 2.5 grams of these drugs. The the B.C. Supreme Court recently ruled that restrictions on public drug use were unconstitutional. People should be allowed to use these drugs in public. I've got Brad West standing by, the mayor of Port Coquitlam. Have a listen to this now. This is Lisa LaPointe, the chief coroner of the province, last week announcing the record high death rate from drug overdoses in British Columbia last year. First full year of decrim, record high overdose deaths. And she was asked here about concerns over public drug use. Is this a problem? Is this a danger? Have a listen to what she says here. This is the chief coroner. There's no evidence to suggest that the general public is at risk from people uh, from public drug use. Seeing somebody use drugs in public is not comfortable, um, but is that a risk to me? Is my safety at risk because I see that? Okay, the provincial government now has announced an appeal of this court ruling against the restrictions on public drug use there. As you heard, their chief corner doesn't seem worried about it. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Brad West, the mayor of Port Coquitlam. He's been very outspoken on this file. Brad, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Okay, what are your thoughts on public drug use? Do you think we're seeing more of it here since uh, decrim came in, say, in the last year? Oh, undoubtedly. Um, I hear that from people in my community. I, I hear it from our bylaw officers who are on the front lines of dealing with this issue in in most cases. And I see it myself. Uh, I know some of the, the activists who... Uh, are very much in support of this approach, will try and say, oh, well, there's no evidence to suggest that there's an increase in drug use. Um, But you know what, Mike? We don't collect data on that. We don't collect statistics, uh, especially with the law now. If you see someone using drugs, you don't phone and report it. So, uh, you know, I I just think that that's kind of a a foolish thing to say, oh, well, there's no data to support uh, that. The reality is we're not collecting data on that, but people know what they're seeing in their communities. And, you know, I, I think it undoubtedly has led to increased public drug use. In fact, isn't that the whole point? Mm. I mean, that's the other piece of this thing is, well, there's no evidence, but that is the whole point. They uh, subscribe to the theory that uh, we need to have people uh, using drugs in public uh, because that is going to potentially uh, save their life. In case they overdose. Correct. Right. Because yeah, this is one of the parts of one of the goals of decriminalization would be to destigmatize drug use. So if you're feeling comfortable enough now to use your drugs in public and you overdose, you are more likely to have someone call an ambulance or a paramedic rather That's than right. using a, rather than using alone. Right. Okay. It's their whole point of uh, part of this uh, approach that they're taking. So to argue that there's no increased public drug use seems to be at odds with. The, the whole theory that they have at play here. 
Yeah, yeah. What about is public drug use actually dangerous to the public? Like we heard there in the chief coroner there saying, well, there's no evidence that it's dangerous. It might make people feel uncomfortable if they see someone smoking crack on a sidewalk or or whatever, but it's not dangerous. Do you think it's dangerous? Well, it can be dangerous. Um, Certainly, uh, if you're a parent like I am, uh, and your child um, accidentally um, becomes exposed to uh, has some um, uh, you know uh, uh, some sort of contact with fentanyl uh, in ingest fentanyl um, yeah. you know a drug that is unbelievably deadly and you know of course there's a number of drugs that are covered but we should be clear that primarily we're talking about fentanyl that is the drug that is most prevalent on the streets of Metro Vancouver uh, and it's the drug that's killing the most number of people. Uh, and this is an unbelievably deadly drug, and um, it absolutely can be dangerous. But more to the point, um, the idea that somehow, well, people just need to adjust, you know, to, to just adjust to rampant public drug use, I think is completely unacceptable. Uh, and I think the vast majority of the public rejects that, you know, th- that's kind of this ivory tower, uh, stone cold indifference to the public. You know, why yeah. should people who are taking their kids to a playground or a park have to be worried about uh, going through every square inch of that playground, making sure that there's no needles? Um, you know, I've spoken to family members in Port Coquitlam who have had a child who's picked up a needle. And the again, this sort of stone cold indifference that the system has to that. I remember speaking to the mother. You know, she's, of course, freaking out. She's concerned about what uh, their kid has had to be, uh, you know, what potentially they've been exposed to, have to take them to the hospital, have to go through this whole ordeal, you know, only to be told by uh, someone from Fraser Health. Well, you know, the chances of them having, um, uh, you know, uh, have... um, uh, have something transmitted to them uh, is very yeah. low. Right. You know, as if that's supposed to be comfortable. It's low. <laughs> the, the, risk, the risk is low. Let me play up. Speaking of Brad West, mayor of Port Coquitlam, the province now has announced a an appeal of this court ruling. Uh, their restrictions on public drug use uh, struck down by the courts, or there was a there was a pause put on it. The, the province had brought in limits uh, you are not allowed to use these drugs within 15 meters of a playground or a kiddie pool or a skateboard park. Um, and a lot of people argue that that went, that what didn't go far enough. I mean, you were among them. The court is saying this goes too far. You thought the, you thought these limits didn't go far enough. Do you think there should be what a, a ban on public drug use period anywhere? Yeah, I, I think in yeah. public spaces, um, we need to completely shift our approach you know, Mike, remember, um, it seems like a long time ago, but we broke ground in this province on the four pillars approach. Yes, and right. the four pillars are prevention, treatment, harm reduction, and enforcement. We've ended up with one pillar and three twigs, I guess. Mm. Uh, you know, there has not been the focus on, on prevention and treatment and enforcement yeah. like, like there should be. I, I think, by and large, British Columbians are incredibly compassionate around this issue. There's not a family in this province, including my own, by the way, that has not been touched um, by, by drug use and drug addiction. Right. And, and 
I've talked to parents who are in my office. There are tears streaming down their face and it just, it takes your heart and it just ties it in knots because you see a parent so desperate that they would do anything to be able to get their kid help Mm -hmm. and they can't. Yeah. On that point. In in the place of that, we have, you know, we have a a, a judge saying that even a, a, a most modest restriction on public drug use is somehow unreasonable. Yeah. On that point about decriminalization was meant to be coupled with increases in supports. Like one of the ideas of decriminalization is it would remove remove the stigma of drug use and that more people would be willing to come forward, talk about their substance use use problems and get help, get support. But like you said, the support is not there. It's not certainly not adequate. And this is something the chief coroner talked about. She's a big believer in decriminalization. But listen to this. Uh, this is this to me kind of summed it up in a way. This is the chief coroner, Lisa Lapointe, defending decriminalization. But then listen to how what she says here right at the end of this clip. Have a listen to this. Decriminalization is not responsible for these deaths. The goal of decriminalization didn't mean that m- more drugs were available. The goal of decriminalization, as stated, was to remove the stigma so that people could access supports. We don't have those supports in place. Yeah. (laughs) The idea of decriminalization was to get people support. But then in the same breath, she said the supports are not there. So what is the point of it? Go ahead. Well, well, this is the classic. And it happened. How often does this happen in government? Theory versus reality. Yeah. You know, there's so many people who pontificate on, well, you know, we're going to set this system up and it's going to work this way. And this is how it's going to all work in theory. And, you know, and and often it sounds like it belongs in, you know, uh, some philosophy class at UBC. Uh, And when it hits the ground and rolls out in communities, it does it bears no resemblance to how people have said it's going to work. Yeah. And then it's communities and families who are left picking up the pieces and dealing with the fallout. And that's exactly what's happened here. Okay. And it's happened in other places too, Mike. Look, every just about every jurisdiction that has tried this is now mm. reversing course. Yeah, Oregon that's, taking a look at it, walking it back is a, is a good exactly. example. Talking about public drug use, decriminalization of drug possession, Brad West is my guest. Sarah calling from Vernon. Hi, Sarah, go ahead. Hi. Um, I, I, thank you for having this topic on because it's it's so, so important. Um, and thank you um, for bringing up that last point that you did, because I think it's everything. Um, you know, we've, we've had a member of our family um, succumb to um, a drug overdose a few years ago. And um, and his path to drugs was um, that he was prescribed opioids from his trusted doctor um, after an injury. And um, he just he couldn't he couldn't shake the addiction. And he ended up on the streets of Vancouver. Um uh, I also feel like, you know, because we were sort of in this world for a little bit, um, we realized that, you know, for other people, drugs were, you know, their solution. It's not that they have a drug problem. It's that they have a mental health problem and drugs are the solution. Um, so I, I just appreciate you saying that part at the end because I think that's everything. You know, the foundation is everything. We can debate about you know, possession, and we can debate about public use, which I do think is wrong, by the way. I have small children, and we've come across a lot of drug paraphernalia and 
beaches and parks and it's scary. Um, But we really, we really need to talk about the foundation of this issue because we're all suffering from mental health, I think, especially in the past few years. And the drugs are the solution. Yeah. Did you, Sarah, I appreciate your call. Did you try to, and I'm sorry you lost a member of your family here to this. Did you try to get help for him? Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. How'd that work Um, out? Was there anything available? He was, he did go to rehab um, quite a few times, um, unsuccessfully. Um, His parents were always, heartbreakingly, always going to the streets and looking for him. Um, Just everything that could have been done was being done. Yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you lost your your member of your family, and I certainly appreciate your courage here in speaking out and calling the show. I'm very grateful to you for that, uh, Brad. Like you said, there are so many families that are touched by this, and we can hear the pain here in this caller's voice. But the thing is, though, if you're getting, if you try to get help for, I've speak, spoke to a lot of people who are not able to get into rehab, not able to get into detox. You got a minute left here. Your thoughts? Yeah, it, it's it's heartbreaking, and um, yeah. But, you know, to the caller, um, thank you for for reminding us that um, behind every number that we hear and we're at record numbers now, there's a there's a real person mm-hmm. um, as choking up a little bit because uh, her, her story uh, is very similar to a uh, uh, story of our family member um, who, um, thank God, in this case, uh, w- was able to. Uh, is still here and 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 is in a better place, um, but Mike, this is uh, this is what it's all about. Um, too many people uh, are are not able to get the help that they need when they need it. Yeah. Or, and you know, and like you, I've talked to families who who can't get the help, or you know, who are left to trying to remortgage their home or you know, cash out RRSPs. Uh, you know, scrape together money to be able to try and get someone into some sort of expensive private uh, right. option. Okay. You know, okay. Th- th- this is the desperation people feel. Brad West, thank you for coming on today. I, I'm grateful to you. Thanks for having me, Mike. Let's talk about bear spray attacks in British Columbia on the rise here. We've seen a surge in violent shoplifting. Bear spray appears to be a preferred weapon of choice here increasingly for violent shoplifters. Got uh, BC MLA Trevor Halford standing by to discuss what he saw go down last Thursday at a Save-On Foods store in uh, Surrey, or two store managers there got bear sprayed. Have a listen to this here first. London Drug CEO Clint Malman, he's been a guest here on the show in the past, talking about the increase in violent shoplifting. He's seeing not just in Vancouver, not just in Surrey, but everywhere in B.C. Have a listen. We routinely have our employees threatened with knives, needles, machetes, Um, and other sort of bear spray. It's in northern BC. It's on Vancouver Island. We see it universally everywhere. Yeah, see it everywhere. You heard him mention bear spray there at the end there. Let's discuss with Trevor Halford now, BC United MLA, Surrey White Rock. Very pleased to welcome him back. Trevor, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, I appreciate it a lot. Okay, so let's go back to Thursday here. The Save On Food store at the Semiyahu Center in Surrey. You were there. It's happened in the morning, right? 
Yeah, it was it was about nine thirty in the morning, and for those familiar, the Savon Foods is in Sammy Mamal here, just in South Surrey on the White Rock border. And I was just getting my my morning coffee, and uh, that's when uh, this uh, the chaos broke loose here. Okay, what happened? Describe to me what went down here. Yeah, so you know, I was in line at, at the Starbucks there, and I could see um, basically the, the two managers uh, kind of holding their holding their faces and. You know, obviously something had transpired and then I saw the shopping cart and then I saw somebody, you know, that obviously the alleged suspect kind of look, taking a look around and then, then walking away. But what it was, was um, gentlemen had taken the liberty of filling up a shopping cart full of full of items and then went to go and leave the store without obviously paying. And the manager and I, I think the assistant manager just basically said, you know, what what is it you're doing? Right, you got you got to pay for these items, and uh, you know the response was, uh, "Here's a shopping cart," and he pulled out a, a can of bear spray and, and got them both, and uh, and then that was it. So, um, you know, it, this happened at nine thirty in the morning with a ton of seniors in there. Uh, it was you know it was a pretty chaotic scene, but uh, you know very disheartening to see what happened, and especially with with two employees just you know doing their job were were assaulted in a way like that. Yeah, police saying that two managers were hit with bear spray in this attack here and this this uh, this incident. One of whom went temporarily to hospital for treatment and observation. Yeah, boy, this is this is brutal. Then you went after the guy, right? Or you followed him? Yeah, it, it probably my wife uh, when I got home said, "You know what? What the hell are you thinking?" But I, you know, what I I noticed that there's so many good people in our community and the, the two employees that were hit, they were getting aid right away and people were uh, taking care of them. But then I noticed the guy is just casually starting to kind of walk away. Right. And I'm thinking, what, what is this? And, you know, so he's walking up to 16th and then, you know, so I just said, well, I'm going to go after him. And I wasn't going after him to tackle him or anything like that. But, um, you know, I didn't know if he was going to go do this somewhere else. So I followed him and he kind of, then he started running and I gave chase. And then he casually got into a car, uh, his, I guess the car that he had parked there in the parking lot. And uh, I was able to, you know, have a, a very brief one-sided conversation with him and say, you know, what, what are you doing here? And uh, I was able to get the photos and pass those on to police, but probably Whoa. not a, a great idea to do, but um, you know, I was I'd beyond fed up with, with what I saw there. I think you're lucky you didn't get bear sprayed yourself. Yeah, that's uh, that was definitely man. Um, <laughs> that was definitely a concern that was passed on to me after after it happened. Yeah. So this guy, when he was running away, did he still have the shopping cart, or did he abandon that? No, no, he he abandoned that, and that's the thing, right? right. Like, and this was, um, and I'll I'll be honest with you, this was a guy that I would not have picked out that would look or fit the description of a shoplifter. Uh, very well dressed, uh, clean cut. Um, you know, he, he seemed to very much have his wits about him. Obviously, he had parked there. Uh, he had backed in and everything like that. It was a newer model car, um, so it would not have fit the description of what you traditionally see as a as a shoplifter. And uh, I think that was you know one of the most concerning parts. But you know, like I said, and like Clint had said on the intro, there, this is happening every day in our community and i know i want to give a shout out to our save our streets coalition here because you know i did have a chance to talk to daryl jones the ceo of save on foods after and he was very concerned with what his employees have gone through and you know i i put myself through college at our local safeway here in in, uh, white rock and i never ever ever saw what we're seeing in our grocery stores and our uh 
in our other retail establishments uh, today. Speaking of Trevor Halford, Surrey White Rock MLA, what he saw at the grocery store there at the Semiyahu Mall on Thursday. So save on food store. Two managers there hit with bear spray. Guy got away. Now you, it sounds like you got a you got a picture of this guy, and you, did you get his license plate too? Yeah, I got got all of it. Um, and uh, the police were there. Uh, Surrey RCMP were there within probably about five minutes. Yeah, did they get the guy? Um, which was fantastic. And I, I think they're still, as I've heard right now, they're still they're still looking. So yeah. uh, I'm hoping that that he comes, that they're able to get him and prosecute him to the full law. Because you know what, it, this was an absolute assault on two innocent people. Um, and you know, thankfully they're okay. I went back and checked on them uh, later on in the day, but it could have been much worse. But we got to get people like this off the street and make sure that they stay off the street. Yeah, and when you were saying that you're describing this person and you're saying it didn't look like someone, you know, when I first heard about this, I thought, okay, this is a homeless person addicted to drugs, probably mentally ill, untreated mental illness and drug addiction. We see it everywhere. But yeah. he didn't strike you in that way. Like he just seemed more. He didn't look no. like a like a homeless person or a, or someone who's addicted to drugs or mentally ill. No, and I'm not saying that that wasn't the case. But from what yeah. I saw, and I saw it pretty up close, uh, about two feet away, uh, definitely not. No, he yeah. was. Uh, he was wearing better clothes than I was uh, that day, and uh, you know, obviously, um, you know, was able to you know get there in his car and everything like that. And um, you know, he, it was very casual. It was basically. Hey, what are you doing here? And you know, he basically just abandoned the cart and then casually took out the bear spray and, and hit two innocent people. So yeah, um, you know, I think he I think he knew what he was doing, and that that to me is is extremely alarming. Yeah, uh, and because it was uh, in my mind, it was pretty premeditated. Yeah, and especially when you're talking about an entire shopping cart full of stuff, just walking out with it, you just wonder the scale of this. It must be, it must be huge. I I, I we've heard reports that the amount of shoplifting that's going on is really escalating and the amount of violent shoplifting as well. Let's have a listen to Premier David Eby here talking about this because there are calls for action, tougher penalties, more enforcement. Let's have a listen. This is Global News reporter Elisa Tebow. You'll also hear Premier David Eby here. Let's listen. Earlier this year, more than 200 people were arrested during a police crackdown on shoplifting. 47 of those were repeat offenders. I share the frustration of these businesses. I share the frustration of British Columbians uh, when uh, people who are involved in a cycle of violence or repeat offenses are released again and again. Okay, so he, he feels he feels your pain. Yeah. He, he uh, you know, he's he's shares the frustration that this is happening. And then you hear in that report about how many of these shoplifters are, are of course, habitual shoplifters are violent to their repeat offenders. Um, you know, your anyway, Trevor. Your thoughts on it? Yeah. Well, it, it, that's great that he shares his frustration, but yeah. at the end of the day, um, you know, we are seeing these increase day after day, and it's innocent people that are suffering, right? And it's it's the fact is is that we've had two uh, two people, uh, two innocent people assaulted. That's happening every day in our province, and these are people that are usually, and I don't know in this gentleman's case because he hasn't been apprehended yet, but that have numerous charges against them. So. You know, it's the police that are suffering because they have to, you know, deal with this every single day. And they're seeing the same people usually every single day. But it's yeah. also the public, too. And it's the fact is, is that these guys did nothing wrong. These guys actually said to the guy in while he's exiting the store, what are you doing? And they mm -hmm. didn't grab them. They didn't chase them. They didn't do anything. 
um, that they shouldn't have been doing, what they're not taught to do. They did exactly what they were supposed to do and they still ended up getting assaulted. And that tells you that the system is absolutely broken in what we see today. And from an affordability point of view, our prices go through the roof because all those, whether it's Walmart, Save on Foods, or your local grocery store, they are all now having to build in the cost of getting their store shoplifted every day. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Trevor, please stand by. Let's take a quick break here. My guest, Trevor Halford, BC United MLA, Surrey White Rock, talking about the two grocery store managers in Surrey who got bear sprayed on Thursday. He saw the whole thing, followed the guy out of the store, gave a description to police. And a lot of this this is happening more and more, including in grocery stores too. Have a listen to this Global News report here. This You'll hear a description of the surge in shoplifting particularly at grocery stores. Is it because of the economy? Have a listen to this. As sky-high grocery prices take a big bite out of shoppers' bank accounts, it appears more people are resorting to supermarket shoplifting. It doesn't surprise me because food is really expensive and people need to eat. Concrete data is hard to come by because many cases go unreported, but one industry insider says the cost is substantial. The average grocery store will lose anywhere between two to $5,000 worth of food every single week. Sylvain Charlebois says food thefts have risen 40% in the last six months, calling it a sign that Canadians are fed up with grocery companies. If you go back a few years ago with the bread price fixing scheme, nobody went to jail, nobody was fine. Uh, the hero pay scandal, which happened uh, during COVID. And now with, uh, with food inflation being over 10%, people are upset. All right. My guest, Trevor Halford, talking about the surge and shoplifting. Let's go to Vera on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Vera, go ahead. Hi there. Can you... Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, I can. Yep. Go ahead. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I own a retail store in Vancouver. We've been in Vancouver since 1967. I've never seen it this bad. Shoplifters know exactly how much they can take without getting in trouble. Police have no recourse to arrest them. Um, I've personally stopped shoplifters myself in my store, but I don't expect my employees to do that because it can be dangerous. And the other thing is shoplifters are emboldened. They just have no fear. And good people say nothing. And good people think, oh, I want to stay out of it. But it affects them even if they do nothing. Prices go up. Stores close. um, It's not safe to walk the streets. People feel uncomfortable on sidewalks. Like, it's it's really bad. I've never seen it this bad in my lifetime. What kind of items? I've been born and raised in Vancouver. Yeah. What kind of items do you sell at your store? So we sell um, shoes and handbags. So oh, we've wow. had handbags. Um, I've had a gentleman come in, uh, just take four or five bags off the shelf and just try to walk out the door. Wow. So um, I personally stopped him, and then I thought about it after. That was probably not the smartest thing. But uh, you called the cops. Um, they haven't stolen over a certain amount of money uh, in goods, so there's they can't do anything. Really? Yeah, it's really, really bad. And a lot of times the the police don't even come to the calls. They direct you to the 411 number. It's non-emergency. A lot of the the shoplifters are in the neighborhood every day, sitting in front of the store, selling drugs, selling alcohol to minors. Police, we call them every single day. And they come. They might clear them out for a minute. They might not be able to. Um, There's no recourse. Uh, 20 years ago... 
you could call the police, they could come and they could actually ask the person to move. But now they're no longer able to do that. Wow. And it's really frustrating. And it's not like we're not paying a lot of city tax. For the amount of city tax we pay every year, we could shelter two or three people. Mm-hmm. I think we, over the years, if I add it all up, I could have bought a couple of condo buildings for a lot of homeless people. Mm-hmm. So they're just, the, it's the laws that are the problem. Vera, thank it's you very much for the call. Yeah. Thank you for that, and thank you for sharing your experience there. I appreciate it. Trevor, your thoughts? Yeah, no, what Vera says, I'm hearing everywhere, especially in my, my constituency. And listen, like a lot of this is, you know, it's it's not just people stealing food to survive. It, it's, it's a lot of this is actually organized because they know sure. the limits that they can take and everything like that. And then if you go to a flea market, you wonder why a thing of Tylenol is two dollars when at the store it's you know fifteen. That's where yep. it's coming from, right? Sure. It, it's sure. all organized, and there's a lot of people with mental health challenges, by the way, that are being completely taken advantage of by people that are sending them into these stores with an itemized list of what to get. And I'm not saying that was the case, what happened on Thursday when I was there, but you know, people are being victimized, but the main people that are being victimized are the people that are getting assaulted like on Thursday. And then the people that are having to pay higher prices because of this uh, crime. Ryan in Port Moody. Ryan, you got 30 seconds here. Go ahead. Yeah, Mike. No, my daughter works at the sunglass hut at Guilford mall there. And she had a woman come in there and talk up another girl that was working there too. And she left the store. My daughter looked back at the cameras and realized she stole a pair of glasses. So my daughter goes, tracks her down. They get her. They find out that she's got six pairs of glasses she's stolen. Um, They take her in. Don't call the police, nothing, whatever. Take a picture of her. Send her home. Next day, she's back trying to steal the the boxes that the glasses come in. (laughs) Oh, man. Probably because she's looking to sell sell them. She wants the boxes to sell them, too. Ryan, thank you for sharing that. 100%. Yeah, you bet, man. That's what's going on there. Trevor, thank you for coming on. Thanks, Mike. Here we go now with cell phones in B.C. schools. Should they be banned in all classrooms in all of British Columbia? Province-wide restrictions are on the way. That's according to B.C. Premier David Eby. We've talked a lot about this issue on the show in the past. We've had a basically a patchwork of rules and regulations on this issue around B.C. It was basically up to individual school districts. Sometimes individual teachers had their own rules. Individual schools might have a rule on cell phone use. B.C. Premier now David Eby saying it is time for province-wide restrictions. Sounds like there will still be some discretion, though, for how this is implemented on a district-by-district basis. I thought this was really interesting, listening to David Eby there last week. At one point, he said that he has a nine-year-old son and two kids in his class have got cell phones. So imagine that, like nine years old, you already got a cell phone. And he said, very popular thing to do at recess is all the kids gather around these particular cell phones from these two kids. So he's worried about unregulated content being uh, exposed to kids at school. David Eby saying he will bring in a requirement now for school districts to restrict phones in class. Got Brandon Lohr standing by to discuss. First, let's have a listen to Eby here making this announcement. Let's listen. We uh, will be introducing a requirement for school boards to have a policy in place to restrict cell phones bell to bell in classrooms to make sure that students are not interrupted from their studies, to make sure that the peer pressure to get a cell phone is relieved for parents, 
and to make sure that kids are safe at school from social media dares, from online bullying, pictures, video being shared of other kids at school. Okay, let's discuss now with my guest, Brandon Lore. Brandon is a kids' online safety advocate. He promotes internet safety. Thewhitehatter.ca is his website. Very pleased to welcome him back. Brandon, thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me back. Okay, you're welcome. And this is a red-hot issue here. We've seen other provinces take action on this file, notably Ontario and Quebec. Now we've got British Columbia saying they'll be bringing in some sort of restrictions here going forward here. It sounds like there'll be discretion here about how each individual district does this. Is that correct? What is your understanding of what's going to happen here? Yeah, so my understanding from the announcement is it's going to be based on districts. So the mandate is, hey, every district in British Columbia, you have to have some kind of rules around restrictions, and it will be up to the districts to determine what those rules will be. And I think that's a pretty good approach because every community is going to have different needs. So instead of having just one massive rule, it can be tailored, which I think is a great approach. Okay, so we have sort of what we have right now, right? I mean, each individual school district is allowed to make up its own rules, but I guess what's different now is he's saying that every every district will require to be required to bring in restrictions. There will have to be restrictions, correct? Yeah, I, I don't entirely know what that's going to be, and I think the yeah, language is pretty broad. But not every district has rules, and not every school has the same rules in a district or even classroom to classroom can have different rules, which can definitely disrupt the school environment. So I think just making things a little more standardized is a good approach. It's really going to come down to the details and there are certainly better practices we've seen and what those rules could be, but at least having some rules, I think are a great approach. We heard in that clip from the premier there that these restrictions will apply bell to bell during the school day, as he described it. And even that I found a little confusing. Does that mean it's going to be from the from the start of the day to the end of the day? Or could it be just during class time and in between classes? Kids might be able to use their cell phones. I mean, how do you, Darren, how do you think this should be structured? What What kind of restrictions should be in place, do you think? Um, so for what we see, it's going to be based on grade. So definitely at younger grades, even during recess, you know, probably not having phones out is a pretty good approach. But when you get to the mm. older high school grades and students have spares or they're, you know, they're leaving property for lunch or maybe they have jobs outside of school, I think during class time, I think that is the optimal position to have these rules. And the best practices are phones off in bags, maybe handed up to the classroom or in little pockets or something. And we think, in our opinion, uh, we hope that districts make ruled exceptions. For example, if a teacher wants to use smartphones for guided educational experiences, because maybe the school tech may not be as powerful as the phones the kids bring in. So being able to use them under teacher supervision, I think, is an important exception to have for learning experiences. Speaking to Brandon Lore about cell phones in schools, should there be a province-wide ban here? What will these restrictions look like? If you take a look at what other provinces are doing here, and I I think maybe this nudged British Columbia along here because we've seen restrictions introduced in Quebec and in Ontario. But if you look at what they did in Ontario it says that, yeah, they had a lot of attention there over a, a ban there. But if you look at the fine print, how this is going to work there, 
it says students may only will still be allowed to use a phone during instructional time if it is for educational purposes or health or medical purposes or for special needs so there are some exceptions there when cell phone can be used your thoughts on that like especially when it comes to educational purposes is are there educational purposes for a cell phone in class Oh, there's absolutely. And if we, we think that is a perfect approach. And I, I know when people say the word ban, it definitely has some preconceived notions. It's it's definitely more restrictions, even in Ontario. So there is. Uh, we, we were at one school. We were working with some students and there was a teacher in the classroom who wanted to teach about AR or virtual reality and such. But the school didn't have enough money to pay for full-powered VR headsets for the students. But a lot of smartphones have some kind of VR, AR built-in software. So the teacher was able to teach about VR using the students' phones that they already brought into class that the school couldn't pay for. So yeah, there's totally opportunities for technology to be brought into the classroom. Okay, let's talk a little bit about some of the downsides of phones when kids have phones in school. Let me play a clip here for you, Darren, get your thoughts. Shimmy Kang, who is a psychology professor, a researcher at UBC on cell phones and their impact on kids if they're really, really attached to their phones. Let's listen, then I'll get your thoughts. Cell phone use in general is linked to uh, increasing rates of anxiety, depression, body image disturbance, sleep deprivation, uh, reduction of social skills, including the most basic of empathy. Uh, we see problems with even neck and posture and back pain. Man, that's a long list of problems there with cell phones for kids. Are, are you seeing evidence of that? I mean, you do a lot of work with kids keeping them safe online. Brandon, are you seeing that? Uh, we are. It definitely depends yeah. student to student. Uh, that's definitely an overgeneralization, but that can even be applied to adults today. And I think that's yeah. just one of the challenges we have in our daily world with technology mediating all of our interactions. So de definitely being uh, you know, cognizant and mindful of how we use technology is critically important. And I think, yeah, having phones can be a distraction, but at the same time, I've met students who are running their own business online <laughs> and they're learning about entrepreneurship and such, which is incredible skills to have. So although, yeah, there's challenges, there's also some positives that we need to balance. Yeah, you heard in the in the clip of Premier David Eby we played there, he listed some other uh, concerns, including social media dares, as he described it. Rana, what is that? Social media dares. What's going on there? Yeah, so the, it can come down to two ways. So there's obviously peer pressure. So students pressuring each other online to engage in something that might be less than desirable. Or perhaps there is some sort of viral trend or challenge going on where students may want to partake because something's going viral. And if they do something similar, maybe they'll get the likes, clicks and follows and become more popular in social media. So it's more the social pressure that can come from using social media and you know, just any social interaction. Yeah. One of the other major concerns for parents, and I know you're, and you got ex experience in help trying to protect kids and parents on this file. And it's like sextortion, selling, se uh, trading, or posting sexual images online, uh, extorting kids on nude photographs. I mean, this is really, really disturbing stuff. And you heard EB talk briefly about that. He's concerned about the sharing of images, kids' images on on cell phones. Do you think a 
restrictions on cell phones in schools can help in that regard? It, it can help limit the negative interactions during school time. But in our experience, yeah. when most bad things happen to a young person, it's usually late at night in the bedroom with the Internet unsupervised. That's yeah. when most of this undesirable stuff seems to happen. And and it, it, there is usually a nexus related back to school. Maybe it's a classmate of yours who's doing something against you online, but they're not going to do it necessarily during school time it's going to be when the bell ends and they leave school for the day so it's not going to stop the bullying behavior but it can at least stop it during the bell to bell time yeah. time frame all right talking about cell phones in schools should they be banned should they be restricted should they be allowed in some circumstances my guest brandon lauer the bc premier david eby last week indicating restrictions are coming we've seen restrictions introduced in other provinces ontario and quebec notably phone me on this now what kind of rules and regulations around cell phones in schools would you like to see do you want to see a complete ban should they be allowed for special needs kids you tell me 604 280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Terry in Richmond. Hi, Terry. Go ahead. Yeah, hi. Um, <clears throat> it's pretty obvious that there's been cell phones in the schools for quite a few years now. I'm just sure. kind of curious why all of a sudden is there this concern that there's going to be a problem with them. They've been a problem for a while now, wouldn't they be? Okay, that's a good point. Brandon, your thoughts on that. Why, why is it, this seems to be a hot issue now. Why is it now? I think because we've seen more issues come to light due to these challenges uh, and yeah. there have been more news media. And I know uh, just today, the, the Intimate Image Protection Act, which I know is designed to protect both adults and youth. So we're, we're seeing more reports of technology based violence. So I think that's a reason why this is coming into effect. Yeah, and especially when you think about the computing power in a cell phone now, the, the visual imagery that's possible, um, the broadband internet access and wireless access that kids have. I mean, you know, the phones have just become a lot more powerful, right? And creates more dangers, you could argue, as well, for kids to be exploited, would you say? Yeah, and it's also due because so much more of our lives are mediated by technology. Uh, yeah. You know, 10 years ago, when smartphones were first being really introduced into classrooms, life was still a big distinction between online and offline. But today, it's really all just one world. So it's just yeah. so much more a part of our lives. Yeah, I think that's what we're saying. James and White Rock. Hi, James, go ahead. So the only thing that I'm concerned about is that the education system up until this point has made these kids dependent on this technology for their educations. And now they're saying you can't have it, but do the schools have the, the hardware in the schools to allow these kids the same technology that they have in their phones and the same resources that are available on their phones available in the schools for the kids if they take the phones away? Hey, good, good question, Brandon. I think that's a great concern. I think most schools have the very basics, like a basic computer, basic keyboard at the very minimal. But yeah. like I said, that, that teacher who wanted to do VR, AR, yeah, yeah, the school could not pay for that. So I, I think the very basics, I know I saw some news reports when this announcement came out that some students claimed that they do most of their homework on their smartphone. Uh, so, you know, how do you balance that when that's the primary devices that kids use to maybe complete their work, log on to their 
Google Classroom or whatever technology that they're using in class, but also outside of class time, like yeah. homework. Yeah, that's a great point. Doug in Kelowna. Hi, Doug. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll be real quick. To me, I'm, I'm a bit surprised that this is even a debate item. Uh, to me, the same reason you want to keep phones out of the hand of a driver so they can focus on the road is essentially the same reason you want to keep kids from being distracted from, in essence, what they're at school to do. And I understand that there's probably areas where the phone can be handy, but just watching, you know, my own grandkids, the degree to which they are distracted by a phone is unbelievable. So, um, to me, it's almost like a no-brainer, you know, given maybe some exceptions uh, for, you know, specific assignments. Um, there's no question that if the kid has access to a phone, it's going to be a distraction. Doug, thank you for the call. Brandon, your thoughts, 30 seconds here. Yeah, indeed. And I think I think it's it's been long believed that every school has rules in place already, but that's just not the case. It can differ from classroom to classroom. I think we're finding those little uh, examples and exceptions that fall through the cracks. So I think this policy is about just making it more standardized so there are at least some basic rules in place, which are indeed needed. But most schools are already doing the right thing, but not all. Brandon, thanks a lot for coming on today. No problem. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.